Now, let's read our text. The text, of course, is Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. But before I read it, I want to read you one verse out of Genesis 12. And let me tell you why I'm doing that. Over here in Hebrews 11, he's referring to an event that took place in Genesis 12. So I'm going to read you, just give you a, a snippet of the event to which he's going to refer when I read Hebrews. So the author of Hebrews is referring to this. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now the text. Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, the, authors, the author of Hebrews could have, there's a lot in Abraham's life that, have, that could have been used by the author uh, to illustrate faith in the life of Abraham. But the author of Hebrews chooses this incident in Genesis 12, which is, called, which is known as the call of Abraham. Um, this call that he has to go live in a foreign country and take his wife and kids uh, and live as pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land. Now, he's going to return to Abraham um, in verse 17. In a couple of weeks, we'll get to that. And the subject there is going to be that test. Do you remember that when God comes and says, um, take Isaac and go sacrifice him? He's going to mention that later. But for now, he chooses this event that I read you, this one verse out of Hebrews 12, he chooses that event as the, the thing that he uses to illustrate some component part of faith. Guys, that's what he's doing in the whole chapter. As we work through the book of Hebrews, he's giving you certain features, certain component parts of faith that he illustrates in the lives of these well-known Old Testament figures. Um, the feature of faith that is very clearly on display in this text is, of course, obedience. Look at it. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Uh, that's the part of faith that he wants you to see and, and, and get. That the faith that... Um, allows God's people to endure, 
is a faith that obeys. You see, those two things are not opposites. In fact, they they really go hand in hand because the right kind of faith, this faith, this saving faith, leads to a life of, of obedience. It's a faith that believes that God has the right to command and I have the duty to obey. Now, guys, let me get this very, make this very clear. I, I don't want to mislead you in any way. My obedience springs from my faith, not the other way around. It's not that I do all these works of obedience and I arrive at faith. No. Abraham was not called because he obeyed. He was called, and then he obeyed. Um, the, the faith that's being described here, or the, the obedience that's being described here, is one that springs from a new principle within. It's, it's a principle that, that, a realization that I'm bought with a price, And God has the right to do with me as he pleases. I am bought with a price. God has the right to do with me as he pleases. You see, Abraham illustrates that. Uh, he, He illustrates a whole lot more, but he illustrates that too. And so let's take a look at Abraham's obedience. Because there's certain features about it that I think uh, can be helpful as we understand what kind of obedience are we supposed to be offering, okay? Five quick things. First of all, just humor me for a moment. Uh, You'll notice in the text, in Hebrews or Genesis, there's not one mention of delay. There's not one mention of hesitation. Um, His his obedience is immediate. He he doesn't delay in, in obeying. And it makes me want to say something like this. It makes me want to say that delayed obedience is disobedience. But I can't say that. Because if I were to say that, that would mean that so much of my obedience is just disobedience. Because it's often delayed. You know, we're kind of like the guy who stands at the riverbank and wants to cross the river, and he, but he wants to wait first until all the water runs by. And there we stand. We're still waiting. We're still trying to find some reason to obey. Obedience, guys, recognizes the rightness and the goodness of God's commands. And the obedience comes quickly. Now, but that's really not the main point of this story, I don't think the immediacy because the main point I think is in the text and and you can see it if you if your Bibles are still open to um, Genesis 12 it's right there look at it Genesis 12 1 now the Lord said to Abram go from your country And from your kindred 
and from your father's house. The point is, if you're going to obey this God, it's going to involve a good deal of of separation from that which I've known and grown accustomed to in my past. That which is familiar, that which brought me pleasure in the past, that has to go. You know, guys, um, when Susan and I went to seminary, it was in 1972, we went with a, a friend, started at the same time, he was single, I was married. And so he had all this time on his hands, and, and he, would, um, he would bug me to death. You know, I had a wife, and, and he didn't, and, and he was just lonely. And he would call me and stop by, at, you know, any time. Anyway, well, one night he, um, he called, and he said, um, hey, uh, Jimmy, I want to show you a verse that I found. And, you know, you really don't find a verse. They're all in there. You just, but, I mean, you've had that experience, I'm sure, that... Um, you know, you come across something and you think, wow, I've never seen this before. Well, I have to tell you, I'd never seen this before either. His name was David, and David said, I want to show you this verse. Get your Bible. So I went and got my Bible, and, and, and here's what he read me. Jesus is speaking here. This is in Matthew chapter 10, verse uh, 34. If you'd ever like to see that it's in there, it is. But Jesus says this, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, wait, 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 wait a minute. You know, I, I, thought, I thought that the, message, the main message of Jesus was about uh, equality and fairness and, and social justice and loving your neighbor and, and inclusion. Well, 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 what's all this sword stuff about? Well, he goes on, he, he tells you. He tells you what he means. He goes on from from verse 34 and he says, Jesus speaking, I I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Guys, when the faith that is being described in Hebrews 11 happens, a sword falls. It brings about a separation. You know, I I would suggest to you that that it was probably easier on Abraham than than it is on some of us. Because Abraham's home was a pagan home. His parents were idol worshipers. I mean, he didn't find faith in in a good Christian home. No, no, he had pagan parents. He lived in a pagan land. And he wasn't on any quest for God by by any stretch of the imagination. God came and got him. So to leave that family might not have been hard. But for some of us, how, how many of you are the real weirdos in your family? You know, the rest of the family, they don't know what they, you know, George got religion. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, when this faith occurs, 
a sword falls. And we walk away, we leave behind some things that have brought us much pleasure in the past. A country, friends, habits, family. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth, says Jesus. I came to bring a sword. And when, when saving faith occurs in us, folks, it means that it separates me from the familiar. It, it separates me from things that have brought me pleasure in the past. Those things. I leave behind. Now, here's, here's another feature. In, in people of faith, the kind of faith that is being described in Hebrews 11, you, you see in them a willingness to incur all of the losses and take all of the risks involved. Let me, let me try to illustrate. Um, imagine a... a um, a, a conversation like this that broke out. Um, a friend um, comes to Abraham and he says, uh, Abraham, I, I understand you're moving. Yep. Where are you moving? Don't know. Well, I mean, uh, how far is it from where that you're going? I don't know. Well, no, wait a minute here, Abraham. I mean, don't you think that's a little bit of irresponsible living on your part? I mean, I mean how are you going to feed your family? I don't know. Well, that sounds like a wild goose chase to me, Abraham. I mean, I mean, how are you going to protect your family for all the dangers out there? I don't know. But this is what I know. The Lord God said, and I got to go. You see, all I know, says Abraham, is that God has promised me a place, a place somewhere. He didn't promise me a better job. He didn't promise me, you know, I could live closer to the grandkids, or uh, he didn't promise me, uh, you know, a slower pace, or, um, you know, that I could have a, a, a house on the water. But God has spoken to me, and I must go. He has an inheritance that he's promised me that I haven't seen yet. I don't know where it is exactly, but I believe what he said, and I must go. Gang, in the course of this little study of um, Hebrews 11, I've been saying this over and again, and I hope you get it, that, that faith is the righteous reflex to revelation. Do you see it? The righteous reflex to Revelation, God said go. And my reflex is in response to that revelation. And I got to go. Now just stop right there, Dr. Young. That's where you preachers make me so uncomfortable. Because, you know, um, you're using the life of Abraham 
uh, and, and talking about all the losses and all the risks that he's got to take and all that business. And very frankly, that's my rub with you. Because, you know, God doesn't speak to me. He hasn't spoken to me. And I don't understand what you're talking about, the risk and all the losses. Well, may I beg to differ? He has spoken to you. Can I give you a couple examples? How about forgiveness? You know that that's a command, don't you? It's, we're, not asked, we're not invited to forgive each other. We're told to. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, some of the saddest times I've ever had in my office is sitting with people when I'm trying to talk them into forgiving somebody, and they, and they refuse. But you see, forgiveness involves loss. How so? Well, let's imagine that you come to my house for a Super Bowl party that I didn't have. Uh, but, to, but at my Super Bowl party, in all of your exuberance, you break a lamp at my house. Then you've been out of work a couple of months, and you say, I'm sorry, Jimmy, I'll, 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 I'll replace your, your lamp. I'll, I'll get you a new one. And I say, no, no, no. You don't, you don't have to do that. I'll take care of it. Just, I forgive you. But I still got a broken lamp, and I still got to go replace it. There's a loss there. But, of course, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest example is not my lamp. When Jesus Christ purchased forgiveness for somebody as wicked as I am, it cost him. It cost him his life. Great loss. But, but how about this? How about giving? You know that's commanded, don't you? Giving? Loss, maybe? Or how about service? You know that's a command, don't you? He spoke to you. Service. Where are you serving? You're not? Well, I mean, faith obeys commands, you see? Guys, I'm saying that when, when this kind of faith of Hebrews 11 exists in the soul, there's a willingness in it to incur all of the risks and all of the losses that are involved. Here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a fourth feature. This kind of faith trusts that God's going to meet all my needs. Um, how are you going to feed your family, Abraham? I don't know. But I know what God said, and I can assume that he's going to meet my needs. He, he was a pilgrim. He wandered around in a land that belonged to the Canaanites. I mean, he didn't drive into Canaan in an RV and with a welcome mat rolled out for him. He lived in tents. And do you know why the emphasis is on tents? Because they're impermanent. It's the difference between permanence and impermanence. It's tents versus a city. It's tent life versus something more stable. And so why does he do all of that, for heaven's sake? It says in the text. It's verse 10. Because he was looking forward to a city that has foundations. See, tents don't have foundations. But the city that God promised him 
his foundations. You know, there's a song that we sing around here. Um, the, and the last line goes, Solid joys and lasting pleasures, none but Zion's children know. Solid joys. Lasting pleasures. I'm looking for the city that's got foundations to it to call my home. You know, guys, the inheritance that God promised Abraham, um, it did not immediately become his. In fact, he left his home by faith, and now he goes into this foreign place, and things get hard, and and what he had to do is he had to keep going back to what God had said to him and reminding him of what God had said to him. The, the Christian life, just like Abraham's, it begins by faith and it continues by going back to what God said to me. And I choose to believe what he said to me that more than I choose to believe what Wall Street says to me. In every person in this room who has become a Christian, your story has similarities to the story of Abraham. We are called away from, out of, the known, the visible, the familiar, that which used to bring bring us pleasure in the past. And then we're called to travel with a God to an unknown place on a path that is invisible and has unknown dimensions to it. It's a, it's a call to a complete break with an old life. Did you hear that? Becoming a Christian is simple. It just costs you everything you got. Because there's a complete break with everything that used to be what I lived for. And if that ever incur, occurs in any of us, it, because, it is because God came and got us and sovereignly granted us the gift of faith. It, it, and it always produces obedience, an obedience that is contrary to our flesh. To obey this God, I have to say deny to my flesh. I have to say no to my flesh. Was, was Abraham's obedience perfect? No. Boy, I'm glad because mine certainly isn't. I mean, remember the story in, in Genesis 16 when he lies about his wife? <laughs> but you see, as Christians, we long to obey, but not because. My salvation hangs in the balance. Obedience is the Christian's pleasure. Obedience is the consequence of grace. If my obedience verifies the integrity of my faith, this, this land of foreignness to which Abraham was called, and so am I, he is asked, and so am I, to believe in something that's invisible. Because the visible is the Canaanites. I'm asked to trust in a promise for a future inheritance. I am, in essence, asked to exchange 
the present for the future. Abraham was asked to do that, and so are we. Abraham was asked to separate from a former life, and so are we. Abraham was called to to depend on God to meet all of his needs, and so are we. Abraham was called to live a life of pilgrimage, and so are we. And Abraham was called to obey, and so are we. We don't know where heaven is, but we know with whom we travel. We don't know the path that gets us there, but we know something about the faithfulness of the God. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, is that what you're teaching your kids? Do they ever come to you as mom or dad and say, Mom, Dad, why are we living like this? I mean, we're living in tents. Why are we living like this? Or or, or do we tell them that what they really need is a good career or a cute figure? And then we, we comfort ourselves because we have we have coerced some kind of decision from them when they were four. Do they, do they ever hear from us about that other city, the one with foundations? Guys, when Abraham died, the only piece of land in the promised land that he could call his own was his tomb. And yet now, that invisible promised inheritance is all his. The story that I'm about to tell you, um, I heard years ago. I heard it, I'd been a Christian about a year. I first heard Jim Kennedy tell it um, in Fort Lauderdale, and I found it just recently, and I, I, I hope the story will move you as much as it moved me. But it's a true story. It's a true story about a, a missionary uh, who, whose name is Henry Morrison, who served the Lord in Africa for over 40 years. Um, as his health declined and he retired they returned to the states and they returned this is the early part of the 20th century they returned to the states via boat a ship and um, unknown to them traveling on the same ship was the then president of the United States Teddy Roosevelt who had just come back from Africa from a big game hunt And so en route, Henry turns to his wife and he says, he asks, I wonder if, I wonder if there'll be anybody there to welcome us home. 
I, I wonder if anybody will even remember us or recognize us. And so they traveled on, and as they were pulling into the New York Harbor, they noticed on the docks was, was hundreds, thousands of people in marching bands and big signs saying, welcome home. And they were so excited. And so they, uh, they went down to the ship's hold to get their luggage and, and to claim all of their, their, their luggage. And when, when, they, when they got back to deboard the ship, all the crowds were gone. Marching bands were marching away. And they realized and were told that the crowds had come to welcome the president home, not them. Henry went to his uh, hotel room utterly despondent, discouraged, depressed. And he said to his wife, you know, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, we have faithfully served the Lord for 40 years. And not one single person welcomed us home. Not one. She came and sat next to her husband and on the bedside. and She put her arm around him and she said, Henry, you've forgotten something. We're not home yet. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, where's your home? Which city do you call home? For you, which city has foundations? You, you do know, don't you, what makes that heavenly city have foundations? It's because Jesus Christ is there. What city? Do you call home? Solid joys and lasting pleasures. None but Zion's children know. Our Father, um, I do pray that you will open the blind eyes, unstop deaf ears, and cause them to see that the things for which they live here are absolutely hollow, that they will never produce the kind of joy that we hoped they would. And so many of us have found that out. But Father, for those who haven't found that out, convince them today show them that what is missing in their life is that that vacuum inside their heart that is God-shaped has been crammed full with other stuff that's temporary and 
and foolish and stuff that we were supposed to leave behind. I pray that you'd show them that that vacuum can only be filled by an by a relationship with you through faith in Christ. And for the rest of us, Lord, remind us, in the midst of this fray, in the midst of our disappointments and discouragements, that we're not home yet. We ask all of this, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.